I arrived at my gym that I work out at the other day, right around the time I normally do, about late afternoon, early evening. And usually when I get through there, the place is pretty busy, but there's always plenty of equipment available for you to get on. I got there on this particular night, and every treadmill was busy, the 30 of them or whatever. Every elliptical was full. Most of the recumbent bikes were gone, and that was kind of, I mean, it, the place was packed. And I, and I said to the guy behind the counter, I said, what happened? He said, give it three weeks, the New Year's resolutions will be over. <laughs> it's funny, it's true, but it's also kind of troubling, isn't it? Well, we, we, we don't live in a time where we do very well with sustained commitment. We, we just don't. I mean, it's, it's, things are far more temporary now than they have been in generations. I mean, we don't start and finish with the same company. Marriages don't make it as long, and the list just kind of goes on and on. People don't even live in the same towns that they used to, and those kinds of things. So commitment is it, it's, it's much more difficult to sustain today. I think it's an important issue for us to talk about, as believers, over these last couple of weeks as a congregation, we've considered some resolutions that we need to make as a congregation. One of those two weeks ago, we, we talked about and considered making, remembering our first love, our resolution for 2011. That as a congregation, as individuals, we would fall more deeply in love with God to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then we'd also fall more in love with people. The second great commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. Last week we talked about returning to that place where we have a mountain-moving type of faith. Not the size of our faith, but the way we exercise it in the God that we really believe in. And that as we do so, God can move the difficulties, the impediment to actually doing what He wants to do through us as a congregation and as individuals in our lives. But, you know, those are great commitments to make. I mean, that should be the top of anybody's list if they really want to walk and to glorify and give honor to God. The hard part is that many of us, we already anticipate we're not, going to have, we're not going to be able to sustain that. I mean, most of us in here, if you're anything like me, you realize there were times in your journeys where you made a very specific, intentional commitment to God, and it didn't last forever. And that creates not only guilt and discouragement, it also creates doubt in terms of going forward. Does it not? So we wonder whether or not we can really pull this off, and maybe it is just like that three-week emphasis at the health club, and then after that it kind of dies back down to normal, and I can get my treadmill, the one right in front of the television that I like, you know. And, um, but it's not a good thing. We need to figure out how to do this, because you can look at it as though it's, it's how to sustain spiritual commitment, but it's also how to be successful in your life of faith which is also related to the idea of how God, keeping ourselves in a position where God can share His best with us. The place where that abundant life that Christ came to offer actually becomes ours, not just in theory, but in practice, in reality. 
And if we can't sustain spiritual commitment, if we can't stay in a place where God can share his best with us, we're never going to experience that in our lives. So I want to spend today talking about how to sustain spiritual commitment. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I'm turning 50 this week. And I'm wondering what the rest of my life is going to look like and if it's really going to matter for anything. And the challenges that go with all of that. But if you have your Bibles, I I want to share some thoughts with you from the book of Malachi. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, we're going to start in chapter 1, which is on page 808. It's in the black Bibles that are underneath your chairs or underneath the chair in front of you. This, I know that we looked at Malachi just a few weeks ago in our first Friday. Spent some time together up to about 10 o'clock that night looking through the book of Malachi and understanding it. And God reminded me of some challenges that leap to us from the book of Malachi that continue to echo. I mean, these words echoed for 450 years where there was no prophetic voice until John the Baptist arrived arose on the scene, and, and today they continue to echo in our ears to great, give us tremendous wisdom about how to sustain spiritual commitment. Just a little background, so you get, you get a sense of, of the dynamics that these people are, are living with. In 587 B.C., God exercised judgment or discipline on the southern nation of Judah and sent it off into exile at the hands of Babylon. And what happened was, that in the final rebellion that Jerusalem had had, they, the, the Babylonians came, they laid siege to the city, they captured the city, and they destroyed it. And part of what they did is they, they tore down Solomon's temple. They, they broke it down, they tore it down, they burned it, they desecrated it, they left it in ruins. People go into exile. About 50 years later, 530 B.C. era, 537, 36, somewhere in there. Cyrus of Persia conquers the Babylonians, and in order to win the allegiances of these new nations that he's conquered, he allows them to return to their homelands. And people will start to return back from Babylon to Jerusalem. In 515 B.C., okay, they rebuild the temple, sort of. I mean, it's, it, it's not Solomon's temple, but it's a temple. I mean, think Solomon's temple, the Cathedral of Notre Dame. Think their temple, Hope Chapel. You know, just little different architecture, you know. They both function as churches, you know, but just a little different in architecture. It wasn't impressive. The people thought that the relaunching of the temple would be the gateway to prosperity for the land in every way, shape, or form. 65 years later, no prosperity. We've been in an economic downturn for how many years? Three years? Two and a half years? We're dying already. Imagine if we hadn't had an economic upturn since World War II. The people are discouraged. And they're genuinely asking the question, does it do any good at all to walk with God? He's asked us to do all this stuff, bring sacrifices to the temple every day and give money and do this and act this certain ways towards people and none of that seems to be working. In fact, the only stuff that seems to be working is doing the opposite because those nations seem to be the ones that are getting ahead. And Malachi, speaking at God's prompting, offers some thought patterns on how commitment to God 
produces the kind of dividends in our lives. And for us, it offers insights into how we can sustain spiritual commitment. Because they had failed to sustain it. And as he addresses those issues, it shows us how to sustain it. First of the verses I'd like to draw your attention to is found in Malachi chapter 1, the sixth verse. I'm going to read from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. For those of you who are reading from a different translation, this is the same as that in your pew Bibles, but you may see some slight differences in words. In verse 6, Malachi, God speaking through Malachi says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. But if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is your fear of me, says Yahweh, Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name? Yet you ask, how do we despise your name? By presenting defiled food on my altar. You ask, how have we defiled you? When you say the Lord's table is contemptible. The first thing that God tells the people of Malachi's day, the reason why their spiritual commitment has waned is that they've lost respect for God. The thing I would say to you and I is that we need to have an incredible sense of respect for God if we're going to sustain spiritual commitment. The illustration God's using here, he says, you know, like, well, you guys have earthly fathers, and, and you give them tremendous respect. I mean, an earthly father in those days, in that culture, they could sell their children off into slavery to, to settle their debts. And in fact, they were. Fathers had tremendous authority over their children. Their children paid attention and respected their parents because of all that they could do to them. A master, this is literally like a slave. They, the Israelites didn't necessarily have like permanent slavery, but you became in like an indentured servant and you were completely at their disposal seven days a week, 24 hours a day. They can make your life miserable And you respected them so that they wouldn't. God says, you know, I'm, I'm your father, am I not? Do you not call me heavenly father? I'm your master. Do you not refer to me as your Lord and Savior? Where's my respect? And it's interesting that I think, you know, I, I, I read a, a couple of years ago the book, uh, 1776. It's about the life of George Washington in that one calendar year as the Revolutionary War got started. If I remember the book correctly, part of his frustration was the difference between the regular army and the local militias. The regular army, you enlisted. If you left, you were going AWOL. And that, and that was like treason. And they could go after you and they could arrest you. They could shoot you. You know, you were, you know, you were, you know, you were AWOL. The local militia, the regular... They just kind of came and went. They'd come and, well, now I've I got to go home now and chop some firewood and do whatever. And they'd come back and I've got to go home now and plant my crops. And then they come back. I've got to go home and harvest my crops. And they just kind of came and went. And w- we struggle with that, I think, spiritually. God says, you sign up to walk with me. It's regular army. You're here. You're here to stay. We want it to be kind of more like the local militia. Well, God, when it kind of fits in, you know, I'll, I'll come and be there with you. But I, I got other stuff going on too, God. You know, even, <laughs> you know, I tell you what. 
if we're going to sustain spiritual commitment, if we're going to keep ourselves in a position where we can be successful in the commitments we make to God, about loving Him first and foremost, about keeping ourselves in a place where He can share His abundance with us, we've got to do it out of, a, out of the kind of respect that God definitely deserves. And biblically, respect is always spelled O-B-E-Y. Obey. It's spelled that way. But Malachi goes on to address some other issues. As you continue along in that first chapter, he says, when you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or a sick animal, is it not wrong? Let me paraphrase. When you bring to your relationship with God anything but your best, is it not wrong? If your walk with God is anything but your top priority, is it not wrong? Malachi says on, bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Ask the Lord of hosts. And now ask for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us? Since this has come from your hands, and will he show you any favor? Ask the Lord of hosts. Says, I wish one of you would just shut the temple doors so you no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will accept no offering from your hands. What Malachi is revealing to the people is that they, they had just stopped investing their best in God. And if you and I are going to sustain spiritual commitment, we, we've got to invest our best in God. Here's a dynamic that was going on. The people were poor. They were wrestling to get by. They had all kinds of demands on them. Sounds familiar? And there's not enough time and stuff and energy to go around. So even though over in Leviticus and other places it had said, you know, well, you're not supposed to bring a maimed animal, a blind animal, a wounded animal, or anything like that. You're supposed to bring me your best. I don't want your rotten tomatoes. I want the best tomatoes. You know, that's what you're supposed to bring in an offering. The people are bringing blind animals. They're bringing lame animals. They're bringing the animals that got attacked by a, a wolf or whatever, but somehow managed to escape, and it's, and, it's, and it's maimed because of that. That's what they're bringing up. And here's what God says to them. He said, well, take that over to the governor and see if he'll take that from your hands and give you what you want. You want, you, you want to go prime the pump with the local process, the politicians, and kind of pay the special fee to get what you want. You, you go, go, go take that over to them. And see if he likes it. And then God says, but I know what I know already. I don't like it. In fact, I, I wish you guys would just shut the place down. Turn the lights out. Just shut the temple down. Just turn the lights out. Because you're not bringing your best to me. You and I, we need to bring our best to God. Our A game. Our best energy. Our first commitment. Our first priority. Our best creativity. Etc. You know, I, I wonder if, if as you are launching a career, if your boss, your supervisor would be happy with the level of energy and intensity and creativity and commitment that you bring to your walk with God, if that's what you brought to your career. Would you go anywhere with it? That's essentially the same dynamic. 
you've got more of a vision, more of a passion, you put more energy into where you're going with your vocation than you are with your relationship with God. You're not investing your best with God. And God says, you know, it doesn't taste very good to me. We have to invest our best in our relationship with God. He goes on, though, and I want to move over to chapter 2. Let me just kind of communicate the dynamic of this passage before I read it for you. The people are, they're, they're grabbing onto the altar. You know, God, you've got to open up the, you know, the, the heaven, treasury heavens, and you've got to give us you know, all the stuff we need because we're so poor, we're not getting by, everybody else is prospering. They're crying out for God to bless them. They want the best. And God says, you know, you got, you got to, you have a, there's a certain level of right and wrong in my eyes. And how you treat your fellow countrymen and your wives and the kinds of commitments and relationships that you build. And you're not doing those, and that you're, but you're down here crying to me that you want everything. It says, and I can't even give you what you want because you're not in the place where you can receive it. Let me just read these verses. Starting with verse 10 of chapter 2. Don't all of us have one Father? Didn't one God create us. Why then do we act treacherously against one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has acted treacherously, and a detestable thing has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. For, for Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. To the man who does this, may the Lord cut off his descendants from the tents of Jacob, even if they present an offering to the Lord of hosts. And there's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning because He no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. And yet you ask, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness against you and the wife of your youth. You've acted treacherously against her. Though she was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant, didn't the one God make us with a remnant of His life breath? And what does the one seek? A godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously against the wife of your youth. I, if he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord of hosts, he covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously. Here, here's, a, here's what's going on. The, the, the people, they have basic obligations before God. And that's to treat other people right and to keep their commitments in their relationships. They're not doing that. And, and what I'd say to you is that if you are going to excel in your relationship with God, you have to excel at the basics in life, the, the always kinds of stuff that you've got to do. And, and, and really what that boils down to is, is you've, got to, you've got to pay attention to self and your own character and your spiritual development. You've got to stay... You've got to stay right in your relationships with other people, your spouse, your parents, your children, siblings, the people you work with, whatever. You've got to handle yourself right. Because if you don't, those things become a spiritual obstacle in order to be able to enjoy what God has to offer you. It's like when you are violating your commitments and your relationships to other people. You're not excelling at the, at the basics, if you will. 
You're not faithful in the always things. It's, it's almost like you're, you know, you're pill, pulling up to the, to the gas station of God's input into your life and you're getting out and you can't get the gas cap off. Because it's just, it's got, you know, and, and therefore you can't got, get God's energy, God's power, God's wisdom, God's resources into your life because you've got it all clogged up. You've got to get rid of that stuff. You have to excel. That's what God's saying here. He said, you, you want me to give you the stuff that will give you the abundant life. And I can't give it to you because you are just violating your commitments up and down the board with the people who are around you. And you've got to excel at the basics. There really is value into walking in right relationship with your spouses and with your children and with your neighbors. Just a couple more things. I know our time is fleeting away. I tell you, in order for you and I to sustain spiritual commitment, to really be successful at the commitments we make to God, we really have to be ready to embrace change for things to be different. Look at verses, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Let me just read a, a few of these verses for you here at the beginning. God says, see, I'm going to cha- send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. That was John the Baptist, by the way. See, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you desire. See, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? For he'll be like a refiner's fire and like cleansing lye. He will be like a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. They will, present offer, they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. And the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in the days of old. And as years go by. Let me, let me state just a, a very basic spiritual principle. That when God shows up, things have to change. This is talking about when God's going to come. At the end. So when he shows up, he's going to be like a fire. He's going to be like a soap. Things are going to change. The the meaningless stuff's going to get all burned up. It's just going to disappear. The dirt's going to get all washed away. Things are going to change. When God shows up, things change. When you make a commitment to God, you're asking God to show up. That means things are going to change. And and here's where, where I need to think. Maybe you need to fit into this. But sometimes I think that for me, what, without ever saying it, without even actually thinking it, what I really expect is more to go on a diet than to change a lifestyle. I mean, I've lost 100 pounds. It's the same 10 pounds over and over and over again. You, you know what I mean? You get to a place where, you know, you, you, you lose 6, 8, 10 pounds, and then the cookies start looking good again, you know? And before you know it, it's all back on, and then usually a little bit more. You know, that's a diet. Sometimes we're looking for spiritual diets. We just want short little seasons of things changing a little bit. But when God shows up, if we really want God to show up in our lives, if we're going to really sustain the commitment so to keep it a place where God can bless us, we've got to be open to a lifestyle change. Believe it or not, I went to the refrigerator the other night and they walked back to watch television with baby carrots instead of chips. I'm trying. 
for a lifestyle change. If we're going to sustain spiritual commitment, we've got to be ready to embrace real spiritual change. Just a couple more quick points. In verse 7, he picks up again. He says, Since the days of your fathers you have turned from my statutes, you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You ask, how do we rob you? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse. Yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Robbing me. Bring the whole tenth into the storehouse. So that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven. And pour out a blessing for you without measure. I'll rebuke the devourer for you. So that you will no longer... So that it will no longer ruin the produce of your land. And your vine and your field will not fail to produce fruit, fruit, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate. For you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. I, I don't want to get off into the tithing side of things. That, that this position, this passage speaks about. But, but here's the deal. You got in order for this to work, in order for commitment to really work, for you to be able to sustain it, you really got to give it an honest effort. I mean, look what God says. He says, "Test me in this." Here's the dynamic of the people that they, they they can't make ends meet. They're selling off their daughters into slavery in order to pay their bills, you know. And so, when you go down to the marketplace to sell your animals, which is worth more, the maimed one, the blind one, or the one that looks great? Well, certainly the one that looks great. So how does it make economic sense to bring the the best one to God and try to sell off the the maimed one? And God said, just test me in this. Just test me in this. And and you need to give, if you're going to make spiritual commitment work, you've got to really try it. You've got to give it an honest effort. And, And that means if it's not costing you something, you're really not trying if it's not costing you something, it's really not trying. If it's not costing me something, it's really not trying. See, somehow or another, we think faith is, is you know, it's kind of like an emotion. We get a sense of conviction and somehow we've arrived. And that's not biblical faith at all. Biblical faith is actually, the, it, it, is a, it is a trust that actually produces faithfulness. Where we actually offer up and do and try and see what God does. Give it an honest effort. One last point, just from chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. For indeed the day is coming, burning like a furnace, God says, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume this, says the Lord of hosts, not leaving them root or branches, but you who fear my name, But you who sustain spiritual commitment, even in 65 years of depression, but you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and playfully jump like calves in the stall. Just remember that it matters forever. 
how you handle spiritual commitment matters forever. Let's pray together. God, we know that you always want what's best for us. We confess to you that we don't always want what you want for us. We commit to seeking your best in our lives and sustaining that commitment. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.